you're not going to get famous singing in the shower. Ever. It's never going to happen. You have to put yourself out there in some form for the luck to find you. Entitlement is the word that I would use to describe my younger self. And, you know, I hate seeing that affect in anybody else now because I'm like, who do you think you are? But that was what what it took. You know, you kind of have to say these works are so good that I'm going to go show them to enough people till someone takes me seriously. And looking back on some of that work, I'm embarrassed to have put it out publicly. But, you know, just putting myself out there as much as possible, saying yes to everything until it was an option to say no. It doesn't matter necessarily what the out is that you're putting yourself out there because you can't guess what the future will hold. You don't know who's going to find you singing in a in the subway and hire you for whatever. You know, in, in the case of quilting, it's the same. You don't know if it's going to come from a quilt show that you'll get a range of shows at a museum or if it's going to come from some weekend activity in Brooklyn where there's, you know, performance artists yelling in front of it or you just you don't know what the venue is so that that's going to make the next thing possible so my goal was just to put out as much as much as I could so that if any of it stuck I could go somewhere welcome to hello atelier I'm your host Betsy Blodgett and with me is producer Jonathan Getz hello now before we get started I need you to flash back to the Picasso exhibit we attended at the Nelson Atkins this past spring. Okay, uh, through the eyes of Picasso, I think they called it. Yes. And do you remember the exhibition's emphasis on the influence of African and Oceanic art on Picasso's style? Uh, yeah, I think it caught many off guard that the first quarter of the exhibition consisted of the masks Picasso collected from various cultures around the world. Well, this was because historians believe Picasso's mask collecting influenced his cubist and abstract methods. I'm looking forward to the segue here. Well, today's guest, Luke Haynes, has me thinking about Picasso. How so? Well, Luke is a quilter, but when he started creating his portrait quilts, he didn't come from a traditional sewing background. He approached it from his art and architecture training. However, when he showed his innovative pieces to the quilting community, they were more focused on his lack of traditional construction methods than his design innovation. There's nothing more frustrating for an artist when the audience misses the point. But how is that like Picasso? Well, before Picasso went abstract, he painted in the realist style. But because he studied and understood that traditional form, when he blew it all up with his cubist work, people respected it. They realized that he wasn't putting two noses on a face because he didn't know better. Rather, he was a proven artist pushing forward with a new style. And that is what Luke has done, except backwards. Luke innovated, and then had to go back to learn the traditional designs and techniques so he could continue to move his work forward. Exactly. And now, fully armed with knowledge, he can dismantle those traditional ideas and rearrange them to continue to push his own innovation forward. So forward, in fact, that he recently made a leap to ceramics. Yes, and although we are focusing on his quilt design in this episode, our lovely listeners who have donated over on our Patreon page can hear more about Luke's ceramics and other episode extras that we couldn't quite fit into our final cut. By the way... You too can become a patron. Just head over to patreon.com slash helloatelier. There's also a link on our website, helloatelier.org. But first things first, let's hear about Luke's journey from architecture to quilting. What drew me into architecture was the fact that 
I, as a small child with undiagnosed ADD or ADHD or whatever acronym, was really interested in disparate things. I loved math. I loved art and drawing and, and kind of making things and, and also craft. Like I cooked a lot and knit forever and these kind of things that seemed so disparate overlapped in architecture in a way. So um, I went to a arts conservatory for high school. It was a, a North Carolina School of the Arts. So you're living there and you're doing arts and you're doing all this and, and you know, learning all of the kind of shading and, and whatever you learn in art school, composition and, you know, craftsmanship, <laughs> for better or worse. And, and I kept wanting to go bigger and more spatial. You know, the sculptures that I would make, I wanted to see how tall I could make them and how kind of to inhabit environments and things like that. And so the architecture just kind of came from my interest sets as well as the the skills that I've developed. So I had been working construction and carpentry for summers and winters as just like, you know, your high school money and that. And so art school plus construction and and kind of math just all made sense to go to architecture plus architecture is a a job or at least that's what I thought in the beginning you know you could go to architecture school and you could get a job and that's what you need to do to be a human in America is have a job lined up that you have to work for for 10 to 13 years before you get out of school till you actually see if you like that job you know uh it's a bit backwards but that's the whole diatribe about education I shan't go into but anyway architecture for me came from the overlap of math and art and home building. So I think the overlap between architecture and sewing makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, obviously, as, as a person who's come from that background, but uh, and, that, and also because that question comes up rather often when people meet me and they say, oh, architecture into quilting, what a big transition. And, you know, and like you say, there's a lot of, architects turned quilting and my answer has always been they're not different at all uh the scale is different the material type is different but outside of that it is a material investigation that a human form can inhabit with a history of uh function as it relates to the cultures from where each of the aesthetic points come from I mean, they're certainly different as far as the communities that would make them. The communities that are making quilting is a little different than the community making a skyscraper. But I think that in terms of the brain type that it takes to understand some of those historical components, they're very, very similar. The nice thing about quilts, of course, is the scale. I can make it myself. Whereas if I'm trying to build a skyscraper or you know something like that, it's a three-year project with 15 other architects with a developer and an engineer against the city and you know whatever falls down and this kind of a thing is very... I, I can't just sew over it. <laughs> when you think portrait artists, you probably think of painting, not fabric. But Luke is best known for his work that ties portraiture with quilting in a completely unique way. Luke's traditional quilt blocks act as a background for larger-than-life images of everyone from Madonna to Abraham Lincoln to the artist himself. So I was actually making quilts and architecture at the same time. So I started quilting in art school before even going into architecture school. The thing that I always say glibly is the reason that I still make quilts is because the first one was unsuccessful. You know, if I had tried one and it was more or less okay... I would have thought, okay, that was fun and been done with it, you know, just a kind of simple experiment. But I made one and it took forever 
and it wasn't very good. I mean, really, the size was weird. You you know, it kind of hurts your eyeballs. It was made with the polka dotted fabric. I bought it at a yard sale, and uh, I didn't love it. But I had an object, and that was fascinating to me. I had a functional object that I could then use. So then I went into architecture, loving function, loving space, loving design. Uh, definitely the, the human engagement is something that's always been very interesting to me and sort of drives my practice. But then working in architecture and finding what the job of that means started to become a little bit frustrating. So I had just come out of architecture school in New York City where I had been taught how to think and I'm going to build the biggest, reddest, building that's ever been on every continent and be a billionaire and then you get in the world and you're like okay none of these design qualities that I have been taught to hone are going to really make it into the final product you're you're going to work for 40 years trying to convince people that what you're saying is interesting or valid or worth the money or you know like and then some part of it might make it in and so that was really frustrating to me so continually making quilts on the side realizing that the quilt was honestly a bit more instant gratification even though quilts take for damn ever they're still shorter than most buildings and so there's a there's a mode of instant gratification where I can make a quilt and learn from the process of making that quilt and then try to sell it or exhibit it or whatever I do with it even just sleeping under it that I didn't find in architecture I never thought that my quilts would go out of my house when I first started making them. So for me, it was a material exploration of fabric. Can I make a portrait using pieces of fabric? And then kind of decided, okay, maybe I better put these in the world somewhere, put them in a gallery, put them in a show, put them in a quilt show. The, the moment I put one in a quilt show, I got these responses back from the judges saying... Oh, your color choice is interesting. Your binding's terrible. You should work on your quilting. Your points don't match. But they didn't say anything about the picture that was on the quilt. They didn't say anything about the composition, aesthetic, the history, all of the stuff that I had put so much into the object because that's what's important to me from my training, from my experience. And so I, I certainly raged against that machine for a bit early on. Kind of, you don't know me, you quilt police. Like, I'm the next big whatever because I don't have to care about that. But I think that that's very dishonoring to a community of makers to come in and say, you guys don't know what you actually do know by decades and decades and decades more experience than I have. And so I kind of, you know, had to eat my pride after a minute and say, actually, there's so much to learn. And and it's it's not going to take away from the skills that I get to bring into it. I think that was my fear is I'm coming from architecture and I'm going to change this and look how cool I am. But if I started to honor a bit more of the world of quilting, I thought maybe that would muddy my message is a way to put it. But just this idea that I couldn't be an artist and a quilter at the same time. But I think that's very untrue. And so that's been the thing while learning that, learning more about the history of quilting and kind of saying, gosh, this is cool. Let's honor what comes before it. One of Luke's recent exhibitions was a study on the seemingly infinite design iterations that can be made from the humble log cabin quilt block. Luke created 50 different quilts for a show titled Log Cabins of Donald Judd, each quilt using the same simplified color palette, but with completely unique designs. I wondered how he went about designing such a large-scale show. 
I consider myself a designer. That's the word that I use if I was going to describe what I am in a single word, designer versus artist versus quilter. And I think that that just relates to the method I use for inspiration. So for me, I'll design a show from concept down through execution, whereas I think a lot of artists will start with execution and then prove it later. My intention is to have a conversation. So I will go concept. Okay, I want to make a show about some idea of, for example, traditional quilting. I wanted to say, okay, there's a history that came before me I would like to honor. I'm going to make 50 log cabin quilts so that I can learn about the iterations of some of these very traditional patterns. And I have a lot of rules for that show. It's only black or white, red centers of the blocks. All the quilts are the same size. The quilting's exactly the same. So the only variation is in the log cabin blocks. That was the idea. And then I had to go make 50 quilts after that, as opposed to making a quilt and saying, okay, that's cool. What did I why did I make that? And certainly that happens. I mean, I still play in the studio, but as far as exhibitions go, that's after I've played through a technique or through an idea and I want to explain it because uh, in architecture, you, you try to make something that explains itself. You know, I want a quilt exhibition that explains the concept that I'm trying to get through and maybe not overtly, maybe there's some subtext, but you know, definitely that's why I kind of go from designer brain. So concept through execution. I almost exclusively use old, discarded textiles, clothing, sheets, table runners, towels, you know, jumpers, like whatever it is that's within the color palette that I need, I'll I'll buy it and use it. I think that there's a history to the object and there's a conversation to the fabric that you don't get if everything's brand new. Um, And that's important to my work. And I don't think that needs to be the case across the board. I mean, I certainly don't preach that. But for me, finding the nuance in fabric in one of my quilts as it relates to the nostalgia of the viewer. I mean, people come in and say, I had that shirt or those sheets were on my bed as a kid. And that is a dialogue that's really important to me with the viewer because I think quilts really do evoke a nostalgia because if nothing else, you've used a blanket. Right, And that's a conversation that a lot of artists don't get to have. Some artists are homebodies, holed up in their studio, creating a multitude of finished pieces of work a year. Not Luke. He seems to bounce from show to show and country to country. I asked him if he ever has a chance to take a break and reflect upon his work and success. Unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately in the world of art, Uh, there really is very little time built in for enjoyment of your successes. Plenty of time for rumination on failures. But the rule of thumb that I've found is galleries are a year out and museums are two years out, right? If the first day you talk to them, the very soonest you'll be able to have a show at a gallery is a year from that day. The very first talk you can have with a curator who gives you the time of day, the, the, the most expedient possible show you could have is two years. Right, So at any given moment, you're working at a minimum of one year out. So to stop and sort of revel in the success of having a show would mean that a year from then you'll have a break in your career. So, so you, you can't stop to say, I've just done a good successful job because your mind is a year from now and you planned this show a year ago. I mean, that's actually been a big problem for me. I mean, I find that 
I have what what I would even consider big successes and never take a minute to cheers about it or take a weekend to celebrate because I'm my mind is into the future of where I can find something successful. So I do travel so much for work. I mean, I'm so immensely thankful for everything that's come up. As a quilter, I mean, who would have thought that I would go to five countries last year because I make quilts, right? I mean, that's I feel so fortunate uh, about that. Um, I cannot have enough shows in my hometown to kind of satisfy my my conversation need with a global community. And I think that's really important for me. So I travel a lot because I want to get my work in front of as many people as possible to have a conversation so that I can then come back to the studio having learned and make better work. Yeah, I mean, that said, I'm going to try to stop traveling quite so much because I don't get to make as much as I would like. I mean, I certainly am able to sort of pump out however many 20 quilts a year, 30 quilts, you know, 100 quilts three years ago. Um, but I'm pumping them out. You know, I mean, they're they're time intensive and I, and I do put the time and I do spend the design effort, but I don't get to stop halfway through and kind of crack open a beer and pat myself on the back for having spent my first 100 hours on this project before I delve into the next, you know, I have to just sit down and make it because I'm going to travel again in two months for the show of that object. So from a personal well-being standpoint, it's my intention to slow down some of that traveling. But from a career standpoint, it's really important. So I'm kind of caught between those two where global conversation is the most important uh, but <laughs> I also just want to, you know, I want my neighbors to remember who I am. I did learn a lot from my travels last year, uh, especially cultural differences. So I've gone to Japan, never been to Japan before. Such a wonderful, amazing, amazing culture. For example, I got to meet this woman who lived in the house of a samurai family. The house was, you know, 500 years old. Uh, she had been doing sashiko embroidery. There's 54 specific sashiko patterns that she could use because those are the samurai families from her region. And she's 80-some years old, and that was her palette. And she's made 80 years' worth of work of the 54 sashiko patterns of the samurai families of the region of the house she lives in. I found that to be so so interesting to think of being satisfied with making something because it's historically important. Whereas us in America, it's all about innovation. And if you're not innovating, no one's interested. And and that's not as true in the craft world, which I think is beautiful. And so kind of finding some corollary between Japanese tradition and kind of the craft maker tradition uh, and sort of understanding that, gosh, guess what? Maybe it is okay if you make something that isn't always so innovative. Like, what if you just did a good version of something that you were trying to understand? That freed me up to actually enjoy a bit more of the process, I think, as opposed to thinking, okay, I have to make these 30 quilts so that my 31st quilt will be the best quilt that anyone's ever seen. You know, I'm going to buy every magazine and the MoMA and blah, you know, but actually enjoying the process a little bit. Definitions of success can vary wildly from artist to artist. For some, it's financial security. For others, it's simply creating good work. 
Luke recognizes the importance of defining success before knowing how to achieve it. My goal, my New Year's resolution, my big stamp on the daily planner for 2018 is to define success for me. Is the success monetary or is the success notoriety or is the success comfort, right? And so what is it about any of those that you can define as your success moment? And for me, I haven't picked that. And so therefore, I feel very unsuccessful in everything that I've done because I haven't defined which of those qualities I can use as my success moment. So I'm working on trying to pick what that success might be so that I can work to achieve just that. Because you can't get an Oscar and run Microsoft and be the best singer and, you know, design a brand of shoes. Like you can't do all those. You just, you can't, there's just no way to do it. But if you define what it is that you're interested in doing, you can put your energies towards that. And so I'm trying to define what my success moment is so that I can work towards that or say that I've already achieved it and then define the next one, what that might be. I mean, if you don't know what you're shooting at, you don't know if you've hit it. I mean, gosh, what if I'm already the most successful guy that I know based on my own definitions? That'd be kind of cool, right? Like pat myself on the back. Or maybe I'm terribly far from it and need to make some big life choices and changes to work towards the thing that actually defines success for me. We hope you enjoyed this interview with designer Luke Haynes. Be sure to visit helloatelier.org where you'll find our pictures of Luke's studio and links to his work. Hello Atelier is produced by Phonicalia Media. If you love our show, you can support us on Patreon with a small donation that helps keep us sponsor-free. Or simply leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can live a little Hello Atelier every day. <laughs>